Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. In On Duties, his work of Stoic Ethics in Book 1, where Cicero is discussing the virtues, he talks about courage with which he associates greatness of soul or magnanimity. Elevation is how it's sometimes translated in the English. And one of the key questions that he is grappling with, one that he faced himself, you might say existentially, is whether you can display this virtue of courage better in public or in private life. And what we mean there is whether you're engaging in your own affairs or whether you are engaging in something that's that's bigger than you. Generally, he's thinking about the affairs of the nation, but we might think about, say, local government or being involved within corporate governance or, or any sort of thing where, where you're exercising power and dealing with other organizations and people and probably also competing for power and hopefully rightly using it as opposed to just doing your own thing where you are your own boss and you are in much greater control over what you're preoccupied with. And this is a really important question for somebody like Cicero, who's very civically minded, who had a role in governance at the highest level in Rome. So let's see what he has to say. Towards the end of this discussion in book one, he says, we must decide that the most important activities, those most indicative of a great spirit, are performed by the men who direct the affairs of nations. For such public activities have the widest scope and touch the lives of most people. So he's saying that you have a greater capacity or scope for displaying courage and greatness of soul in the public sphere. At the same time, he continues and he says, even in the life of retirement, there are and have been many high-souled people who have been engaged in important inquiries or embarked on most important enterprises and yet kept themselves within the limits of their own affairs or... And here he has himself in mind, in some respect, taking a middle course between philosophers on the one hand and statesmen on the other. They were content with managing their own property, not increasing it by any and every means, nor debarring their kindred from the enjoyment of it, but rather, if there were need, sharing it with their friends and with the state. Cicero, of course, did not confine himself to that sort of individual or family economic activity, but he did find himself forced into retirement out of political life and then embarked upon his project that this book is a part of, of writing all of this philosophy, translating Greek philosophy into a Latin and specifically Roman context, which turns out to be one of his greatest contributions. So you could say, well, is that public or is that private? And that's a good question here. Let's talk first, as we're thinking about this, in terms of what he's calling retirement. And we typically think about retirement as leaving the workplace and just doing your own thing. He has something similar in mind, but it doesn't mean a life of inactivity. It could be a life that is devoted to managing your own property and affairs. It could be a life in which you're engaged in, say, artistic production, or you are writing books or, you know, doing individual things. 
And he says that this is in many respects easier to manage. It's easier to not succumb to the kinds of obstacles and temptations that stand in the way of being courageous or great souled. What would those be? So for example, dealing with other people who want to also be in charge, that can provoke emotions, fear, anger, desire, aversion, these sorts of things that the Stoics were quite concerned about. And you'll remember that Cicero says that courage is not simply mastering fear, but it also involves a freedom from other vexing emotions, particularly anger. We might include rivalry and envy among them as well. So if you're in private life, provided you're not trying to compare yourself against all the others and somehow like supplant all of them in which you're you're, you're kind of involved in a, a public life, it's easier for the individual to manage the requirements of courage and great soldness, but there's less opportunities for one to shine, certainly to do more on a higher level. If you confine yourself to your own little patch of ground to cultivate your own garden, as the expression goes, well, you can display it within that confines, but you can't display it in other ways. And so there's kind of a trade-off there. If we look instead to public life, where Cicero does think courage it has a much better chance to be not necessarily cultivated, but displayed. Here, there's much greater opportunity because we're talking about bigger challenges. And we're also talking about the problem of dealing with others as well, who may be vying, rivaling, you know, contending with you about who gets the power or who gets to shine as the great example. Sometimes people get, get quite worked up, not just about who's in charge, but who gets gets the credit, who gets the glory. And so there's more opportunity, but there's also more difficulty because once you're in the public sphere, you have much less control over the life that you're leading. Cicero is a prime example of this. He lived in a time that was extraordinarily contentious. First, he lived through the Marius and Sulla disorders going on within Rome and even, you know, social wars. And then he lived through this sort of power shakeup that eventually coalesced around the triumvirate, Caesar, Pompey, and Crassus, which he was invited to join as a fourth, but refused. And then he saw that break apart and a new civil war take place. And so he did not have the opportunity to shape everything the way he, he might have chosen to, but really nobody did. And so he talks about this quite a bit in here. He brings up some examples of different people who engaged in important affairs. And then he brings up another question, right? Or another issue. Well, what's required in order to genuinely be courageous in public life? And here we have to think about the very definition or characterization of courage as Cicero brings it out. And this he's deriving again from the Stoics. When courage, this drive for independence, for rulership, for facing dangers is not guided by justice and wisdom. It ceases to be courage and starts to become vices instead. And he saw that happening within the public life of his own time. And he's got plenty of examples from Greek history and earlier Roman history as well. So that's one thing. Cicero will actually talk about this in terms of the common good. 
in private life, you can be concerned with your own individual or say family or however you want to put it. It could be a good philosophy, your profession. You can be concerned with that more specific or particular good. But if you are taking care of the affairs of a nation, you're not supposed to be just enriching yourself and consolidating your own position. That's not genuine courage. There's a kind of daring or cunning there, but it's not courageous. Cicero says that unless you're concerned with the common good, which includes that of the common people, you are not really displaying courage. So you would have to, to develop that capacity and you would have to resist those quite common temptations that come along. In addition to this, one would have to have a mastery, which requires an understanding of the emotions. So as not to be, as I mentioned, not to be just uh, able to face fear, but able to face one's desires and to be able to take on pain and endure it and to not be misled by pleasures. And of course, to not confuse one's feeling of anger with genuine courage and to try to minimize anger as much as possible. That's what it would be required in order to be a good statesperson. Now, Cicero also raises another very important question. We tend to associate courage with war or conflict. And so it might be natural to think that war offers us the best opportunity for developing and for displaying courage as opposed to times of peace. Cicero makes a really interesting argument to say, no, courage is not only required in both of these circumstances, but also needs to be developed for times of peace. You might say it's even more necessary, although in a different way at that time. So he says, most people think achievements of war are more important than that of peace, but this opinion needs to be corrected. So how does he do that? He says, many men have sought occasions for war from the mere ambition for fame. People don't seek out occasions for peace for fame. And so war has a tendency to seduce us, to lead us astray. And he says, this is a big problem for people of great spirit and natural ability. It's more likely to happen if they are adapted to a soldier's life and fond of warfare. Then he says, if we actually look at how things turn out, if we want to judge rightly, he says, we'll find there have been many instances of achievement in peace more important and no less renowned than in war. Interestingly, some of these have to do with the very preparation and you might say groundwork that made certain countries successful in war. He gives us an example, the Spartans, right? He says, if you think about Pausanias and Lysander, two Spartan kings, although it might be thought that if it was by their achievements, Sparta gained her supremacy, these are not even to be compared with the legislation and discipline of Lycurgus. Lycurgus was the person who gave the structure, who gave the way of life, a brutal one, by the way, to the Spartans. And so he laid a sort of groundwork. Cicero himself talks about his own experience in this book, very briefly, trying to hold the Roman Republic in its last days together. And he says, this was me operating in a time of peace. It actually took a lot of work and hardship on my part. 
And he says, arms are of little value in the field unless there's wise counsel at home. And so this is, this is a very important point. We can display courage just as much in public life through how we conduct ourselves in peace, how we maintain peace, how we bring peace, how we build the state or the city or indeed whatever other institution we're talking about just as much as we can in war. So we don't want to be misled into thinking that courage is really just the warrior's virtue. It's also required for the statesman, for the leader, for the person who is going to try to reconcile the many discordant voices and demands of a body of people and try to bring some sort of, at least hopefully a temporary, but perhaps even lasting harmony to those ends, desires, and demands. So where do we see courage? It can be shown in both public and private life, but Cicero thinks that public life, in some respects, has a greater call for us. And he wants to stress, this is what I'll wrap up with, that when we see a need for courage to be displayed, genuine courage in public life, and if we have those capacities within ourselves, we ought to step up and respond. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.